welcome to Cancre, your home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith, and uh, today we have an interview that we did with the executive director of Proud at Work. Um, it's a fantastic, wide-ranging conversation about how employees who may be LGBTQ-identified are working to uh, enter new employee employment. Uh, everyone is thinking about their jobs these days, and uh, small business owners and business owners are looking at how to get the best possible talent for uh, their, uh, you know, their employees. Uh, and likewise, uh, folks are looking to be uh, in comfortable spaces and like, places that make them feel welcome. But before we dive into those interviews coming up uh, in just a few minutes, I wanted to take a couple of seconds and let folks know about some good news. First and foremost, uh, around 3,000 people recently participated in the South Africa Pride taking place in Johannesburg. Uh, this is amazing uh, show up uh, uh, turnout for Johannesburg and the Pride event in South Africa, but even more so because the U.S. State Department warned of a possible terror attack in Johannesburg in the Santon District uh, during the time of the Pride Parade. Now, the South African uh, government noted to folks to not share misleading information about potential terrorist attacks and causing unnecessary panic. Um, and it seems like that advice was heeded with 3,000 people participating in one of the largest gatherings for the Pride Parade in South Africa. So absolutely incredible demonstration of uh, Pride in uh, in South Africa. But even more so, I want to then turn to some great news coming out of Taipei in Taiwan, where 120,000 people participated in the largest Pride event in South in uh, Asia taking place in Taipei City. Uh, the crowd was uh, started off at the Hall Plaza before engaging in the route. It also included a contingent from Kiev Pride, where they made their way over from the Ukraine to participate in Taiwan's Pride Festival. So great news. These are Pride events happening all over the world and fighting back against uh, discrimination and oppression. Now, we are going to jump into our interview with Pride at Work and uh, we'll be, well, you'll hear more from me in the interview, but this is uh, a conversation that we had a little bit earlier today. And I'm Sebastian. And as promised, this is the interview that we have with uh, Colin Druin and the I uh, just want to make sure I get your 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 title and everything absolutely correct. You are the executive director at Pride at Work Canada, and I am very excited for the conversation that's going to unfold. That is correct. Thanks very much for having me. Now we we've both had recent uh, employment changes, um, both myself and uh, and Sebastian. Well, let's start with, uh, just start from the start. You know, when I applied for, for new jobs, it is very difficult for me to disguise the fact that I am a homosexual. Uh, for example, some of my work experience is as a LGBT liaison uh, with the auto police service in the community. So it's right there in my mm -hmm. resume, unavoidable. Mm -hmm. This is a gay man. Other than leaving out past employment, there's kind of no way to be in the closet while applying for, for some people in the community, depending on, on where you volunteered, what, what employment you've had. Sometimes the, the 
most qualified job you've ever had is as the uh, bookkeeper for a local pride festival. And of course, you know, a lot of pride festivals are willing to take anyone who's good at bookkeeping to, to run their books and make sure that they, they don't collapse internally, uh, like unfortunately a few have. But the fact is, uh, you could be that, that one heterosexual bookkeeper for a pride festival in Canada, and it still reads as being a member of the queer community. So it can be a challenge sometimes if you're in the community and, and especially if you're young and there's not many job opportunities, so you take what you can get. And now some of the earliest work you have uh, is, I don't want to say it brands you, but it, it does kind of identify you. So yeah. even if you didn't want to identify it, work there you are. Yeah, I think we should crystallize this into an actual question. Um, <laughs> so essentially, my question is this, you know, for folks whose early experience is evidently queer yeah. in, in one way or another, what are you hearing? What what's the uh, what's the stats and the evidence showing? Are folks uh, unabashedly moving forward with this on their resumes? Are they editing and and finessing the resume to make that less obvious or less clear? You know, what? How far in or out of the closet are people at the hiring stage in terms of uh, queer folks across Canada? Yeah, well, it's a great question for both of you. I'm somebody who's been professionally queer for almost 20 years. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. And we hear a lot about people's experience applying for jobs at Pride of Work Canada. When you, as you rightly said, sometimes the best experience that you have instantly outs you. And we know that uh, on the employer side, um, you know, resumes that out a candidate as queer or trans or both uh, are about 25% less likely to be invited for an interview in Canada. And that's just the trend that we see regardless of, you know, the rainbow logos and all of the great intentions that a lot of employers have. Uh, a lot of employers tend to hire from their network. And in some of the research that we supported with um, the SRDC that came out earlier this year, we also found that a lot of um, applicants um, had poor experiences coming out at work because queer and trans people often need to point out uh, deficiencies in the built environment or in work systems. You know, this office doesn't have washrooms that are affirming for me that I don't feel safe here. Uh, people are using language that lets me know that I'm not wanted. And they're actually kind of painted as complainers in the office, even though the workforce is growing and changing all the time. We're seeing more people coming out as trans non-binary than ever before. So even though those individuals are bringing forward um, issues that are going to need to be resolved by that workplace at some point, they are painted as complainers. They're told that, you know, they're not wanted or we hired somebody like that before, you know, that quote, like that before. And uh, we don't want to do it again because those people are more trouble than they're worth. So we see a lot of people, despite you know, a lot of companies going out really trying to market themselves as employers of choice for queer and trans people, those middle managers who are still hiring from their network or who have those biases, whether they're unconscious or extremely conscious, uh, we do see people having to cover or, you know, uh, change parts of their experience when they're applying. And that has certain uh, consequences, uh, more often for members of our communities who are racialized, because when you're facing racism in a hiring process, as well as transphobia, or as well as biphobia and homophobia, um, sometimes people make the choice of concealing the part of their identity that is easier for them to conceal um, than uh, their, uh, their racial or ethnic uh, background. Um, we see that also for people with disabilities. 
um, who are also you know, members of our community and who also can be racialized. So you can see how some of the kind of contributing factors might compound. And uh, we see that play out in terms of wage gaps and you know, unemployment rates. So it's a really, really tough problem that I wish I had an answer to, but you know, the, the work that we do at Private Work Canada is really the answer. We try to help employers become better at building those hiring processes that are inclusive and actually uh, celebrate the, uh, the experience that queer and trained people bring into workplaces. One of the things that the auto police did that I appreciated, and that's a very short list, by the way, it's a very, very short list. Uh, but one of the things they did that I appreciate is that they do uh, survey their candidates for policing positions in terms of racial identities and abilities and so on and so forth. And then they compare that to the actual hiring to see, is there a, def a difference between who is applying and who is hiring? Now, as it happens, when I was there, it was evident that queer folks mm -hmm. either weren't being hired or they immediately went into the closet because mm -hmm. those two numbers didn't match up uh, one iota. Is that something that maybe employers can do to understand where the blockage might be happening? Is it that we're just not hiring queer folks? Or once we are hiring them, they're not coming forward? Is a sort of pre-identification a useful tool, maybe something that barge pull we should stay away from? Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, it's a great question. There's a lot of companies that do that, that they ask those uh, types of identity-based questions at the application stage so they can see if there are certain business areas that are not hiring folks from certain um, communities or backgrounds. Um, but you make a really good point that there could be people who identify themselves as queer in the application stage and get through the application process and, and get hired only to go back in the closet or to go into the closet when they get hired. So whenever we talk about self-identification surveys or um, asking people to share information about their identity, uh, we always really recommend that the employer uh, include questions about, okay, but are you out? So it's great to ask people, are you a member of the 2SLGBTQI plus community or are you queer or are you trans um, in an anonymous you know, self-ID survey, employee experience survey? The second question should be, are you out and to what extent? Are you out to maybe a few people? Are you out to your boss? That is how the employer is really going to get an idea of what the environment is like. So it's fine to do the bean counting exercise of saying, well, we've got, you know, 10% people saying that they're uh, uh, 2SLGBTQI+, uh, but what level of the, what, what number of those folks are actually out at work and feel comfortable? Very similar to when we see people with disabilities. Um, a lot of disabilities are invisible. We have a lot of folks who are, as, you know, time goes on, we're seeing more people getting diagnosed as neurodivergent older. So there's people are discovering that they live with a disability later in life. And so we constantly want to be giving employees that opportunity to identify who they are, and then also identify the extent to which they're honest about who they are with the people they work with. Those intake uh, surveys, though, because I've seen quite a few of them. Luke may have oversold how recent my, my new employment is. It was actually back in the spring, but it's recent in the grand scheme of things, I suppose. But yeah, a lot of those intake interviews or the intake surveys that I remember doing for uh, mostly government and corporate jobs, some of the, the smaller companies that I applied to, they absolutely did not have anything like that, but they're a smaller company. I don't know what they would do with that much data or that little data is really what I should say. 
none of them indicated whether or not they were anonymous and none of them indicated what they would do with that information. So I know that that can be a challenge when you're coming in, when you're just looking at that sort of staring down the barrel thinking like, can this be used against me? Is this sort of a, you know, they're, they're doing it to present themselves as being pro diversity, but really they're using it as a filtering process. It, there is kind of a trust issue on the behalf of the applicant, a lot of those sort of identity surveys, and I, I've spoken to all sorts of friends with many different backgrounds where, you know, they, they're like, if the employer is going to discover that I'm actually black, they're going to discover it the first time they see me face to face and not when they're looking at my resume. So what is, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I have a question about this necessarily. It's just a, an issue that I, I guess is worthy of discussion. How, how, how should one react to these surveys, even though I know that they are useful information? And uh, like Luke brought up an excellent example. Um, but then as the potential future employee, when you come across that, there is there is something about that. Like, how do you know that it is going to be something that's treated well? Is there something you can find on the website of the company or, or how, how can yeah. you suss out? I think you kind of hit it on the head where when you're applying for a job, is your priority yourself or the company? So the company might really benefit from those data, but I mean, why is that your problem? You're looking for a job, that's up to you. And if you don't trust that the information that you're giving is gonna be used well, why should you provide it? That's what I always ask companies is, what's in it for this applicant to give mm -hmm. you that information? Or what's in it for one of these employees to tell you who they are? Uh, you're not, you got to give them some sort of incentive, right? So when we talk to employers about asking those types of questions, if it's at the application stage, you better have some information on your website or in the kind of application process that explains, you know, this is the type of group benefits we provide. It includes, you know, the type of healthcare that you might need. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a queer person, if you're a trans person, if you're non-binary, you know, really addressing some of those individual needs. Let people know that there's a pride network, that you have an employee resource group. If you have a specific person that you can go to if you have a grievance uh, related to, uh, you know, your identity or human rights or you're being harassed at work. What are some of the things that you can let applicants know about your business that lets them feel some trust that, oh, I should identify my identity at the application stage, whether it's anonymous or not, should be anonymous. Um, but if they somehow find out, is this an organization that's actually going to welcome me and is prepared to include me in, in the processes that they have here? Or are they just asking this because somebody in corporate asked them to? Because if that's the reason, it's not a really good reason for you to give up your data, right? Your data is really valuable. Uh, and then if it's for, uh, if you're already working somewhere and they roll out an identity survey, a self-ID uh, program, you know, you really have to ask them, well, what are you going to do with these data? Are you going to make our health benefits better? Are you going to identify me for promotion opportunities? Are you going to identify me and send me to Pride at Works conference, right? You know, with Pride at Works doing a conference and they want uh, people to attend who identify as queer or trans or both, um, is my self-identification going to help get me there on a company's dime? So you have to give some incentive for people to give up, dude, because people are grabbing our data from, you know, every point <laughs> on the earth all the time. The little that we get to hold on to ourselves is, is very precious. So I wouldn't give it up unless there was some sort of incentive. And that's what we tell candidates uh, to do as well. And it's and it's so intimately personal, you know. Mm. It is your 
your love life, your home life, it's, it is, you know, it's not something that can be surrendered easily. You know, we talk about surveys all the time. And uh, I think one of the things we always land on is there has to be a very good reason for it. Otherwise, you're just nosy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that that's, that's the crux of it. Do mm -hmm. you need to know this information? What will come of it? Or are you just being nosy? Mm -hmm. um, and I think for employers, that's, you know, take that to the bank. Now, one of the questions that I have is that there is a lot of stereotypes. I hope we have moved away from stereotypes against queer folks in terms of hiring, but maybe not. The stat you mentioned earlier inclines maybe not. But thinking back, and you can tell me if these are still current. I'd, I'd like to think that they're not. But, you know, the idea that maybe queer folks are more expensive, they have higher healthcare costs, you know, but even on the flip side, gay men, no home life, no, no kids, reliable workers. You know, how pervasive do you think these, what I hope are older stereotypes, remain in terms of the world of work? Yeah. We definitely deal with this myth of queer affluence that is a, a big issue for our communities. Um, people seem to have uh, the view that, you know, queer and trans people are this uh, affluent class with a lot of political power. And I mean, we can only look at the extremely, you know, the, the, the extreme laws that are being enacted in the United States right now against children, you know, against children in our communities to know that we, we don't wield the political power that a lot of people think that we do. And some of the research that we've supported in the past year has revealed pretty significant wage gaps based on sexual orientation in Canada. So one example is that on average, straight men in Canada make about $56,000 a year. The average earnings in a year for a bisexual woman in Canada are less than $26,000 a year. So fully less than half. That doesn't mean every bisexual woman makes half of what every straight man makes, but it means on average, we are seeing uh, bisexual women earning way less than straight men. And that is, you know, very strongly connected to, to a lot of other factors. Bisexual women seem to have, uh, you know, worse mental health outcomes because of experiences with violence, uh, particularly sexual violence. Um, so a lot of these things are kind of, you, you have to take into account kind of all of the determinants of health, like work outside of work, how they all work together. And what ends up happening is lower wages for uh, queer and trans people. You know, that stat that I talked about is really just for cis bi women. And we see a lot more arresting and, you know, very depressing statistics when it comes to uh, employment levels of employment and uh, compensation for trans people, non-binary people. And considering most employers still collect gender and until very recently, Stats Canada only collected gender in this very binary way, it's going to take a little while for us to have even more evidence with which to argue, you know, it's very important for organizations to be in introducing um, uh, policies and procedures and measures to really help trans, non-binary, agender, otherwise gender diverse people have an actual equal shot at economic security in Canada. Okay, we're going to jump to our first uh, track of the day. This is Spiders and Cobwebs, the incredible new release by The Happy Failure. And we will be back just after this. There's 
a lot of these questions that we've been asking so far have a lot to, to do with sort of getting in the door in the first place. So there's a lot of, um, some of it's workplace bias, some of it's intentional, some of it's just blind spots. And, and I'm willing to bet that most people don't even realize they're doing it. So like giving them the benefit of the doubt, let's say it's, it's blind spot bias. Uh, but what about people who are already employed? Because uh, I this is this is an argument that I've heard many times. Where um, I'm sure there's a counter argument, but like it's one of those things where it's at least a little bit true. And there's probably something else that's more true than this. But the idea that you know if you're doing poorly at work, you know work harder, scrub. That uh, you know if you're not getting your promotions, if you're not doing well at work. Um, most workplaces, and I know this is not entirely true because there is such a thing as toxic management. Um, if you do well, you will get that raise. If you do well, you will get that promotion. Obviously, sometimes promotions and raises are zero-sum gains. There's only one person who can get that promotion. And if it's not you, that's not necessarily something to do with you. That could just be something to do with the other person who did get hired over you, etc. But within the workplace, um, moving up once you get in or doing well or even if you're in the kind of job where you hit the ceiling the day you're hired like some assistants are never going to go higher than assistant that's just part of the the position or lab technician of some kind um but still you you could get workplace happiness or workplace involvement or have that be taken seriously by your employer like there's different ways of moving up in the world reputation being one of them so what is sort of this counter argument or, or actually first, what is the reality of people moving up in the workplace after they've been hired? And secondly, what can people do uh, once they're in the workplace to sort of um, either deal with or, or work against that idea of just work harder? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely heard that a few times in my life. Well, maybe mm -hmm. if you just worked harder Mm -hmm. uh, and then you, you know, look over to your left and say, well, he didn't have to work harder. And his son went to the same school as, as his son. And they all kind of know each other. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think what we have to think about here is, you know, fairness. And mm -hmm. um, we can talk about, I can talk about bias until I'm blue in the face, but I find when I talk to executives at some of these large corporations, they respond better to um, that idea of fairness is, is the, is what's happening right now fair. So if mm -hmm. you see, Everybody getting promoted um, resembles the people who are already at the top. Mm -hmm. You know, is that is that fair? And mm -hmm. is there something going on there um, where are the type of questions that they're asking in interviews more about the person's um, uh, performance or their potential? Mm -hmm. uh, because I always encourage when you're looking at promoting people, talk to them about, you know, tell me about a time that you did this. Show me some evidence of when you accomplished that and look at people based on what they've accomplished in the workplace instead of, oh, you know, he's never done this before, but I think we should give him a chance because he's, you know, look at him, he's a born leader. People will say things like that and believe themselves not to be biased, but there's a lot of bias in, in the way that they're talking, they're, people talk about that type of thing. And there's some interesting research that just came out um, that was about um, CEOs who are black and the, you know, market capitalization of, of the companies that they're leading, um, see, uh, a little bit of a, uh, short-term gains once they're announced as a CEO. And there was a direct connection to the fact that a lot of people who are racialized, um, women, queer people, people with disabilities, uh, were not hired for our potential. We're hired only after we have achieved much more than other people from the majority have achieved. So this idea that, um, black CEOs tend to be much 
more educated than white CEOs. They tend to have much more professional experience and they have a, a longer track record of management success because usually if you are from a marginalized group, if you're racialized, if you're queer, you have to prove yourself so much more in order to get that chance. Whereas a lot of folks are just given chances because they're seen to have potential, whether the person giving them that chance acknowledges that they're being biased or perhaps they are really judging them based on their performance. But, you know, I think that's where we, what we try to promote at Pride of Work Canada is make sure that when you're looking at hiring and you're looking at promotions or you're looking at opportunities for professional development, you're making those decisions based on the person's actual qualifications for the job and their ability to do the job as it's written, uh, not based on what you think that they maybe could be capable of because you, quote, see something in them. And usually when people say that they see something in someone, they see themselves. And that's what they're promoting. They're promoting a younger version of themselves. And uh, th there's not a lot of malice there. It, there's just not a lot of fairness there. That is a beautifully well put point you know I'm, I'm gonna get that on a poster um all right i pointed out my t-shirt i'm not wearing a t-shirt but you know it's just anyway you get the point it's a fantastic uh fantastic uh point now you work with a lot of employers and i'm i'm you know maybe just it's my curiosity here and uh but my question is as follows do you get called in when there's been a small fire and you know heads have rolled and maybe this is an area they should be looking at improving um or do you get called in when uh folks are like look we need to be proactive we need to get ahead of 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 continuing to improve as employers you know is it uh um I'm just curious as to whether or not it's more proactive or reactive when when you get involved with employers but then also what is some of the biggest advice or the most common advice that you give to employers because many of whom are listening to the show um that uh, that they can that they can take uh, take back with them and then obviously reach out to you folks for more in-depth training and support but yeah maybe I'm just morbidly curious as to uh whether it's fire trucks or uh or uh, a cold call well um you know I, i'd have to say it's both <laughs> where you know we get it we get everything right so sometimes there's just some very well-meaning queer people who say i would love to do more to make everybody love working here as much as i love working here you know people are having a great time at work they feel really supported and they just want to do more they want to be doing more stuff you know, it goes from that to sometimes an executive will call us and say, my daughter just came out as trans and I'm starting to learn more about this stuff. And my God, do I have some work to do at this workplace? Because when I told people that I work with, you know, oh, my daughter came out as trans, half of them didn't know what I was talking about. And I just want to make sure that by the time my daughter is going into the workforce, she doesn't have to deal with that kind of stuff, right? Uh, and it can go all the way to, there was a, a harassment complaint and there was a really bad situation. And that's why whenever people are asking us, you know, can you come in and do some training or can you come into a consulting project? We say, did something go wrong? And be honest with us. Because if you tell us that something went wrong, we will actually help you and we'll help the employee and we'll help you figure out the best way uh, to resolve this situation. But if you're not honest with us, we can't help you, <laughs> right? So we, we really, it runs the gamut, but we've actually been seeing a lot more uh, proactive action from employers over the last couple of years, 
where honestly employers have just been coming to us and saying, tell us where to start. Uh, our competitors have been doing this for a while. We want to get in this game too. Uh, you know, we have a lot of people on staff who we know are queer or trans or both. And I don't think a lot of them are out. And we would love to just create an environment where they felt comfortable, uh, you know, where they want to, where they want to come out or if they want to contribute more. Uh, so it really is, you know, all over the place. But the number one piece of advice that I give to every employer that, you know, no matter what industry you work in, no matter what uh, type of business, size of business, you know, the companies that we work with, they always want to jump into doing training. They always want to jump in. How do we uh, teach people the things to say, the right words to use, all of that kind of stuff? What I always ask them is, how does that really add value for the queer and trans people that you have working there or that you have potentially working there? You are still centering straight cisgender people when you do training about queer and trans people like we're not in the room. And I know from working with these communities for you know almost 20 years that we are in every room. We are in every workplace, we're in every industry, we're in every classroom. So stop talking about us like we're not here. And if you're gonna start somewhere, start by doing something that will directly benefit the queer and trans people on your team, not something that's gonna to continue to benefit the people who have always benefited, which is the straight cis people. So as much as we love those allies and we love straight people and we love cis people, we wanna do things for them. Number one priority should be helping the people who need help the most. And that's not gonna be the same thing in every situation, but it's gonna be the most important thing for you to do. I'm, I have been skeptical about training for years anyway, because it turns out just to be the adult equivalent of a math pop quiz. Uh, people, uh, you sit in a room, somebody talks at you for half an hour, you smile and nod. At the end, they give you a, a quiz, you fill it out. By breakfast the next day, you can't remember half the answers and you go about your businesses and nothing happens. Um, not to say that training sessions never work. I just, I default to skepticism because I, I've seen too many uh, training sessions of many different varieties, really, where I saw no real impact from it. Um, I think there, there's more constructive ways of, of going about improving things. I, I love the mere exposure effect, the idea of having like sit down in, in coffee chats and, you know, just getting people who assume themselves to superficially have nothing in common and just be like, find a movie that you both like and talk about why you like that movie for 10 minutes. Little things like that of just being like, you like RoboCop? It's like, I love RoboCop. Be like, what? why do you? I would never have assumed that Who you Who are you talking RoboCop. to that's a fan of RoboCop? Who are you I talking love, to who's not a fan of RoboCop? What's I love RoboCop? anything Paul Verhoeven. I love all of his movies. My right? favorite director. <laughs> But I know exactly what you mean. Whenever yeah, I go, yeah. I'm from Nova Scotia. And whenever mm -hmm. I go out east or even when I go out west and mm -hmm. before I give a talk and I'm meeting with whatever executive has brought me in to talk to the group, I always ask them, you know, what kind of car do you drive? What kind of truck do you drive? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I grew up in my dad's garage. I know a surprising amount about cars. So I just listen to them talk. But, and they're sometimes very surprised at this like swishy gay guy, like, is like talking to them about cars, mm -hmm. but it just helps them understand like, I'm not this alien from another planet. Like I'm from the same space as you are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, it, and it helps us have a little bit of a connection beforehand. But, you know, I think the other thing about training that I find really tough is that once you start giving people definitions, people kind of imprint on that definition. 
And, you know, if you pull 10 people off the street who identify as queer, I'm sorry, you're going to get 10 different definitions of the word queer. Mm. And personally, that's why I love our community. And that's why I love being a member of this community. And I love being queer because we don't all have to fit the exact same definition. And we learn to live outside of those little boxes. Mm -hmm. So I think once you start giving people those clear cut definitions, it's a recipe for disaster. But when we come in and do training, what we do, we just focus on what does effective communication look like in this workplace? How do we start a meeting off so that we all have the same information about each other? And how do we take cues from people Mm -hmm. and, you know, mirror that language where if I come in and I start talking about my partner and, you know, oh, my partner and I this weekend did this don't go around calling him my special friend, right? He's my partner. That's the word that I use. So, you know, don't say, oh, his friend or his roommate or whatever. It's a really silly example. But, it's always you know, the roommates. Yeah. It's always so, the roommates. But, yeah. you know, like, how, we, how do we give people tools that regardless of who they're in a conversation with, they're starting that conversation off well. It's, main, it's maintaining a level of respect for each other. Uh, and we don't always have to get into specifics about terminology or vocabulary. Um, we just talk about what are some ways that we can, what are some tools we can use to build a relationship together, regardless of where we're coming from. That's what we focus on. And we find it to be a lot more effective than, you know, going through the, the you know, the alphabet and saying, these are all the different identities that you might encounter on a daily basis. You're listening to Can Queer, Home of Canada's Queer Media and the interview with the Executive Director of Pride at Work. Uh, We're just going to jump to our next song. This is Senses by General Malaise and uh, we'll be back just after this. Oh yeah! Why do I upset? a thing mm, out of my head no rest
Hello and welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer medium. My name is Luke Smith and we are going to jump back into our interview with the executive director of at Pride at Work uh, in a conversation about how LGBT folks are in the uh, areas of employment. Here we go. My, my partner um, and my, my roommate, he works for a plumbing firm. This may have come up previously on the show and it, they are they are... French Canadian, they are very. I mean, everyone here has met a plumber. Like that's yes. not uh, not out of the norm. Um, and I, you know, there's very much an, an attitude that made me think of this plumbing firm. It's not necessarily there, but the why should we bother? Like, why do we need to make a fuss and 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 open doors and and you know have sit down conversations? Like, why? Why can't I just go and fix the pipes? Like, why is this interrupting my workday? You know, like, why, as an employer, should I stop all my plumbers fixing pipes and mm-hmm. have them come and talk about communication styles? Like, what's, as a, you know, as an employer who maybe hasn't had uh, an incident happen, what is the benefit? What's the financial benefit of, of bringing your whole self to work, as I've seen it uh, put by a bank? Yeah, people say that bring your whole self to work um, line a lot, but I think it's it's pretty illustrative because for some people, they spend so much time covering who they are, or you know, so much energy gets put into making sure nobody finds out things about them. Wouldn't you want that person putting all of their energy into that plumbing job? Like, wouldn't you want everybody's head in the game uh, for you know whatever it is you're trying to do? So, you know, that's what I think of is that when people are coming to work every day scared um, or people are coming to work every day, you know, you're a firefighter and you're worried that, you know, the person who's supposed to hold the ladder for you is is not going to hold it. You know, you're going with that fear like every every day that somebody's not going to have your back the way that they have somebody else's back that weighs on you day in, day out, and it affects your performance. So, you know, people sometimes say, well, it's not my problem that these people come to work and they can't be out or, you know, they're not comfortable. It's not your problem, but you sure as hell benefit from the solution because you have more people coming to work who are able to put their whole selves into their job and benefit the business and be a quote team player. We're always talking about how we want team players. Well, you know, I want to know all the people on my team. I want to know all about them and I want to know how I can get the best work out of them um, so that we can all succeed. So that's really, you know, that's, it's not a magic recipe for huge profits where, oh, everybody comes out of work and next day, you know, you've got 100% market share in the industry mm-hmm. that you're in. That's just not the way it works. Mm-hmm. But if you create an environment where people are comfortable and where people can really focus on their on their work and keep keep the, you know, keep their, like I said, their head in the game rather than how am I going to figure out, you know, I talk to parents who go to work and they hear what people say about uh, trans people or some of the things that they hear about trans and non-binary kids. And they're petrified that, they're, uh, that their colleagues are gonna find out that their kid is trans because they worry, what if you know they don't like trans kids and they find out that I have a trans kid and then I get fired and I can't look after that kid that I love so much. So now I have to go to work every day and I have to not talk about my kid who I love. Everybody else gets to talk about their kid that really weighs on people or, you know, I know queer people who go to work every day 
Nobody at work knows that they have kids because that would mean that they would have to know that they have kids with somebody of the same gender, that they're married to somebody who's the same gender. And I can't imagine going to work every day and not sharing all kinds of little things about my family. I love my family. I want to be able, and I love that I can talk about my family at work. I can't imagine what that would feel like. So I think sometimes companies need to think about, yeah, there's some business prerogative there where you want people's head in their work and not up in the clouds worrying about what people think. But don't you also just want to work somewhere where people go to work every day and they can actually put a smile on their face? I don't think that you should have to be tough to go to work. I think that we all deserve to go to work and feel safe. End of story. I wonder if that's a, a, a retention question. Because if I found myself in a place where where being queer was even difficult, I would be looking for for alternatives. I'd be looking for the exit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and it's very expensive to recruit, hire, and train someone mm. when maybe a, an open conversation, a session with private work would be uh, maybe a lot. Uh, I don't know what you charge, but I assume it's cheaper than hiring a whole new fleet of <laughs> of uh, of people. I think it is. And, you know, I, I was a person who I hopped around from job to job because I've been out since I was 14 and I've just never really been interested in being in any kind of closet. And I've never really been able to keep myself in one. And I hopped from job to job to job. And I've been in this job for almost 10 years. And, you know, it's the longest time I've ever been in one place and I love it. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of the folks in our environment really like it too. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't just know what to tell other employers, but I, I feel like we're doing a really good job of our own culture. We've won awards for, um, you know, our inclusion efforts We're we're not perfect, but we're trying to get better all the time. And that retention, um, question is one that looms over us a lot because we've got a lot of really great, valuable people on our team. Over half of the people that on our team are from outside of Canada. So we benefit from all of this amazing international experience you know, pretty much everybody on our team is, you know, a member of the community that we serve. So we all have, you know, skin in that game, so to speak. And we want to keep our people healthy and happy because I think that, you know, judging from the growth that we've experienced over the last couple of years, in the past two years, we've gone from about $500,000 a year in revenue to about 2 million. And that's just been because of the incredible work of our staff team. So we want to keep these people happy and we want to keep them paid well. I mean, we, we want to keep them in, in their, in their jobs that they're in now, or, you know, advancing to the next, we want their next big job to be with Pride at Work Canada. So, uh, you know, come to Pride at Work Canada for the advice on queer and trans inclusion, stay for the uh, advice on, on retention and building happy and healthy teams. Uh, one of the, and the brownies. One of the interesting things that has occurred to to myself in particular is, uh, I mean, I felt like I am. I was in a very interesting position to be in as the gay, um, you know, in management, openly homosexual, um, especially with questions around pride that comes up. Where are we focusing our energies? Um, and I'm kind of curious as to what you hear from other queer folks who are maybe in leadership positions with employers and, and uh, workspaces. Is there um, a certain amount of, uh, not profits or pariahs, you know, that, that, that sort of um, 
I can't find the word for it, but I think you you get what I'm what I'm aiming towards. Yeah, the the big trend I see right now because the the community that we work with is so broadly diverse and with even within queer communities, people's circles can tend to be a little bit homogenous, you know, people can um people can kind of gravitate toward people who are like them. So I've actually seen a lot of execs who are tasked with, okay, well, I'm the executive sponsor of this pride group now. I'm an, you know, out gay guy, but you know, I I don't really know that many bisexual people, or I don't know many people from XYZ community. And I've been really impressed by a lot of people coming and saying, I need to learn more about how I can do well by the whole community, because I know my experience, but you know, I'm a gay guy, but I went, you know, they'll say like, I went to private school and then business school and I only came out a couple of years ago. So people have been really, really honest about what they think their shortcomings are and, you know, asking to be connected to people who can help them learn more about how they can be an advocate across all of the different parts of our communities, which, you know, nobody, nobody can ever be, nobody can ever speak on behalf of somebody else's experience. But, you know, that's why we always, we, we hesitate when people say, do you have somebody who can come in and talk about their transition? Like a trans person come in and talk about what it was like to transition. We say, well, no, we don't usually have people get up in front of a room full of strangers and talk about their personal medical information, but we can talk to, we can find some people to talk to your folks who have worked with a broad spectrum of trans people and can speak to some of the trends in um, you know, how that community is succeeding, you know, what are some of the things that folks um, who are trans or non-binary need to thrive, who need, like, you know, to move up uh, the, in, the, in the workplace. Um, so we try to make sure that when folks are, you know, members of the community and they're, they're tasked with kind of being an advocate, that they're speaking broadly in the macro about what's going to help the most people from the community, not just here's my personal story, isn't it sad or isn't it happy? Uh, you know, that that's a nice thing to pull the heartstrings, but it's not really, there's no evidence that that changes the workplace environment. The environment changes when you bring in that kind of macro perspective and you introduce policies and programs that actually help people make better decisions in the workplace. Not just, you know, when they go and they have a little lunch and learn and cry and then go back to their office and they don't change anything about <laughs> what they do. Well, I mean, I, I always enjoy a good cry at a lunch and learn. So that's, yeah. uh, that's where <laughs> I'm at. Sebastian's over there watching Robocop. So each to, each to their own, I, mean, I suppose. Really what I was thinking is the, the thing that I want most in a lunch and learn is tacos. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I am adamant that we get you back in to talk about how businesses uh, market themselves to the queer community because me and Sebastian have talked oh, about yeah. you yeah. know the difference between yeah. winners and skittles and how each of them approached uh, uh, branding. Uh, there's for our audience here, Colin's shaking shaking the head, so that's. Uh, <laughs> Does anybody buy that rainbow stuff? Because like I don't, my mother buys a lot of it. Like, but mm. she's not, she's straight, so I don't, I don't know who a lot of that stuff is for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> who knows? Well, we'll have you back on to talk about that uh, at another time. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And for any employers listening or employees who may want to advocate. Um, how can they how can they reach out to you and, and find out more about the work you do? 
Oh, uh, you can visit prideofwork.ca. We're one big happy family. Everybody's email, including mine, are all on our website. You can connect with us that way. Um, or you can send an, an email to info at prideofwork.ca. And uh, one of our friendly staff members will help you with whatever you need. Excellent. Thanks so much. And we'll be back just after this. Actually, we uh, before we jump into our last track, we are nearly done uh, with the show for today. Uh, all of the music today has been Canadian uh, self-identified queer artists. The Happy Failure earlier at the start with Spiders and Cobwebs. And then, of course, General Malays, fantastic name for a band, uh, with their track Senses. And uh, coming up next is Two Front Teeth with Better Messed Up. And uh, we'll be jumping at in just a second. But first... Some more good news. We are big fans of telling folks good news if and when we see it. And that is the news that the last state in Mexico, uh, Tamaulipas, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, has recently voted in favor of same-sex marriage. Now, that follows multiple other states, actually follows, it's the last domino in Mexico to uh, legalized same-sex marriage following Durango, Guerrero, State of Mexico, Tabasco, Veracruz, and Yucatan. Uh, so this is exciting news that now the entirety of Mexico has same-sex marriage available. Like I said, we'll give you good news if and when we see it. But for now, this has been Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. I have been Luke Smith. With me on the call was Sebastian, the co-host and the executive director of Pride at Work. And... Playing out now with Better Messed Up by Two Front Teeth. Like a Smith song with a thorn in my side Like a Smith